people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello, and welcome to Twelve Rules for What. This is a podcast about fascism, anti-fascism, and the far right. My name is Alex. If you want to support the show, you can do it in a few ways. You can follow our Twitter at Twelve Rules for What, or our Instagram at the same handle. Or you can support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash 12 rules for what. And you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month, and it really helps out with our show's running costs. Um, today we've got an interview um, with Louise Han, who is the editor and of a book called Physical Resistance by uh, Dave Han. And Louise has written an update to the book, an update chapter, which is coming out soon uh, with Freedom Press, so look out for that. It's a really great read um, and something any anti-fascist should um, read. And with that said, on with the show. There were some slight recording issues with this one just because we were in a different location to usual. Um, So it sounds a little bit rougher, but hopefully you'll power through because it is a really good interview. So we're here discussing uh, a book called Physical Resistance 100 Years. What is it? I can't remember the year. We're here discussing a book called Physical Resistance, yeah. um, which was published um, almost exactly, well, 10 years ago, 2013. Pretty much. Um, which is a 100 years history of uh, anti-fascism, especially, um, well, I suppose, with a focus on, on, on in, as in the title, physical resistance or physical force, anti-fascism. Um, for those who haven't read the text, maybe could you give a brief introduction to it and why do you think it's it's still relevant ten years later? I think I think it's because it's a people's history. So anti-fascism quite often is a people's history in the sense that it is usually not always, but usually a broad front of groups. So for anyone on the left, you could find your story in there, no matter what your view is. And so one of the really good things about the book is it's far less sectarian than a lot of books that are on politics that just tell the history of one group and their how they were right <laughs> in some way how they were right so the book is so i think it has some people's history i think it's quite an honest book i think it's a book that doesn't doesn't always talk about great successes but actually talks about the effort the effort of activism and so for those reasons i think it speaks both to anti-fascism to activists, but also in some ways just to anybody who was interested in the kind of movement of time across that hundred years. So I think that would be why it also has some kind of really big moments of that cut across other key histories like the Spanish Civil War. So, so that is an anti-fascist event, but also it's part of a kind of global history. So I think there are other, other ways in which you can see it's significant. And then you can think if you wanted to think about reflecting on the 80s and uh, the importance of music and of punk and Thatcher. So there are ways into the book if you were interested in a historical period and you wanted to take a, a chapter and move that way. So I think that's probably why it stood the test time. Those reasons, I would hope. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been rereading it for this interview and just because we should say from the offset that a new edition is going to come out with Freedom Press um, very soon, um, which you're writing in yeah. an update chapter two um but it's almost like also like a almost like a primary source reader as well like you have these long uh, to its benefit these long kind of accounts from various different first person perspectives of people's experience of the activism at the time 
and it kind of means you can flick about quite easily yeah. and find something interesting wherever yeah. you end up in the book, yeah. I think. Um, so the author, Dave Han, passed away before the publication of the book yeah. in 2009, and you, you, you kind of you, you give a quite a vivid portrait of the guy. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just in the, in the this is briefly in the introduction, and you know, for you know, what was kind of what was Dave's history in, in anti-fascist yeah. activism? Well, he his history, which I connected with as an activist, was he was a member of anti-fascist action, and I encountered him first because anti-fascist action was providing security for an anti-strip search tour. And they were people who'd come over from Belfast and Derry. They were women activists who were talking on behalf of women in Armagh. Not Armagh, Magabri. Armagh had been closed by that in Magabri jail, um, who had been forcibly strip searched. And so I, I met him then. So I met him as an activist, really. So I know that bit of it was towards the end of Afa's journey. Um, and so, uh, I knew that part. And I think, um, as an activist, when I kind of worked with him, I suppose, across from different organisations, he was like extremely conscientious. Um, and for example, um, some Manchester AFA came down to London to do a bit of just sort of spotting and uh, of fascists around a march, which must have been, it was marking 25 years of British troops in Ireland. So I can't, what, what would the year be? 1995 something like that there or thereabouts um and they did that because they had a relationship with people in the troops that movement in manchester and they they kind of thought oh you know we know those guys are going down they know they're going on the train and we'll kind of look out for them because that's our broader job you know so he's really conscientious i think one of the myths about dave han is that he's on the front cover of a book that he'd written before called No Retreat, and it's the image of him stamping on a Nazi's head, kind of, which was a Hyde Park event. And so there is a kind of myth about, um, you know, kind of sort of gleeful violence, I suppose, which I never saw, except in that picture. (laughs) (laughs) And who knows, pictures don't always tell all of the story. But I think what's interesting around the use of physical resistance or political violence is that Dave was not scared, or at least if he was scared, he dealt with his own fear really, really well. And um, and also would see, taking things into your own hands would be probably one of his phrases, he would see that as an act of political independence. It's like, nobody's going to do it for you, you're going to have to do it yourself. And um, so I think that's quite interesting, is is rather than seeing, seeing violence as kind of... Um, disconnected from politics as something that you could choose to do or not to do for Dave it was very much about uh, do it yourself you've got to do it for yourself nobody's going to do it for you definitely not the police probably not somebody else so it was a really strong sense of working class independence it was like if there's somebody doing something wrong it's my responsibility I'm gonna I'm gonna sort it out so that's kind of interesting. He kind of played that role in in not in anti-fascist context. So we had a street party in the in the in the street where we lived, and there were some young lads who were who were like stealing lots of beer that was out on the table, and getting really drunk. And and so Dave just said to them, 
enough now people enough now and like other people were a bit like oh i can't i can't be talking to them or i'm going to be a bit too rude and he was just like no no it's just you just have to tell it like it is and just do the thing and um and yeah. that kind of image is also kind of contrasted with the way he's the way he kind of went about writing the book as well yeah. he kind of got kind of kind of quite a reflective yeah i mean i knew him most so the period of activism was kind of like at the end of act uh, 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 the, uh, the end of AFA. so the period i knew dave actually was as a as a father so um you know he had he had we brought up three kids together so as a father and as uh, a community activist in terms of local football you know did a lot of looking after youth teams um he, you know, so he was still, he st played a role in kind of community type work. He supported a lot of the activism I did by ensuring the kids were picked up from school when I was doing anti-gonotomy stuff. So, so that's how I know him as a kind of a person is that he was allowed, which is the interesting thing about anti-fascism. It's just like, if you're not, if uh, everybody should be allowed to do their own thing, doesn't matter who they are, they should be allowed to do their own thing if it's not, if it's not hurting anybody else. If it's hurting somebody else, that is a different matter. But otherwise, that is like you support people to do what they want to do. But as a historian, it's really interesting. So as he's writing his book, he was like so conscientious. And I'm paid as a historian. And I like think, OK, I'm writing a lecture. I'm going to grab what I need to know. And I'm going to try and tie up some loose ends. But I think perhaps because Dave was working outside institutions, because he was self-taught, he was really, really um, conscientious about what he read. He's a really big reader anyway, could read quite fast, read a lot of stuff, um, and also wrote other stuff as well. So as a, as a um, before he wrote No Retreat and before Physical Resistance, he wrote a fanzine. So I think he always enjoyed writing. And even before that, even well before I knew him, he was a poet. So that world of words was really quite important to him, really important as a reader, as, as a kind of historian. So yeah, I miss that actually. One of the things I miss about him is like being able to talk about books, mm -hmm. talk about what you're reading, think about words. So yeah, the interviews he did, obviously, a lot of them came through his contacts with yeah. with people just from his long history in, in anti-fascism. But also, I thought it was really interesting how you you advertised for 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 interviewees, and in a way, it was just at the kind of right time as well, because a lot of those you know members of the forty three group and that kind from that period of the 50s is are now not with us and so it is like those last words have, have, have been captured and written down in, in yeah. the book and in his notes as well and i remember the person who was really excited to find was somebody called sheila la and she was in the 62 group and in fact actually his mother of quite a famous academic as it turns out and uh, but she was she dave was really excited to meet her and i think he felt very strongly that people's stories had not been fully listened to and I think perhaps because he was so knowledgeable, he was able to kind of think, actually, it's these guys I need to speak to. The other guys have had quite a lot of airtime, but I want to find somebody else and I need to find out what they're going to say because they've got a story, you know. So, yeah, and yeah, yeah, hardworking. And actually, it's good you reminded me because it was, it was um, you know, uh, it was a very much, um, Dave had notebooks and hand wrote as well as, writing on computers so that what I was left when Dave died I had the script that he typed up on a kind of on the shared computer at home but I'd also had notes and you know thoughts that Dave was writing so yeah 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 interesting um we, we I mean we, we 
briefly discussed a bit about violence just in the yes about Dave, but also like the book itself is is just particularly kind of matter of fact about the use of violence, yeah. and I think it's interesting in that oftentimes if violence is put into a political context within a mm. book or within literature or whatever it's often sensationalized or it's one particular flashpoint and it's like this shocking thing that happens and then everyone moves on with their lives but for a lot of the people who are telling their stories in the book violence was just a normal part of doing politics like if you look at accounts of breaking up fascist meetings in the 50s or before the war you know wherever like not only with violence very freely meted out by fascists Mm -hmm. but it was given just as much in return and i think yeah, I think maybe oftentimes we forget that that kind of that aspect of politics is 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 left out of a lot of history. Yeah, and I think that, for example, I was reading something recently about the mass trespass, and so the mass trespass of Kinder Scout. Actually, I'll tell you what it was. It was in the book of trespass, so that was an account. Now, Dave was very interested in Kinder Scout, and actually, some of the people he he interviewed or used their sort were some of those. They'd been at Kinder Scout and they'd also been involved in anti-fascism in Manchester. And um, it's, I can't remember, it's Nick somebody, Nick Hayes. His account was much more accurate about how they actually had to get across the land because it wasn't they walked there. It becomes kind of a peaceful process, process, which it was, but that to force they were on, you know, and, you know, and back. So I think the idea that, I mean, there's one thing that I suppose in politics is, is that people write out is that you know we're not going to be really given anything we're not going to be given given anything by this government so you have to try and do it for yourself and sometimes that means you're going to confront people if it's climbing over a fence which i would also call physical resistance it's Mm. like any way where you're using your body to assert your right to be there to say your thing if you see something doing wrong you could intervene and i think that um i think that's so i think Violence is often reduced to an act of physical pain upon another person, but it is not that. It's actually a more regular confrontation between you as a person in your own body and, and what politically needs to be achieved in that space. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because maybe that should have been one of the questions. But like, yeah, the act of taking a road, blocking a path of a march or blocking traffic or whatever is, is equally putting yourself in a certain level of risk and yeah. kind of, not, not necessarily risk, but it's like kind of bodily putting yeah. yourself into the public sphere like, as well. Which yeah, I think no, is... definitely. Somebody laughed at me once about saying that, that we use our bodies. But we do, because we actually haven't got anything else. Yeah. And I think that's quite important, is that, <laughs> is that you haven't got power and you haven't got the arm. Or, you know, the police have weapons, you know, of, of various different degrees that can, you know, we just have ourselves, really. And so, you know, ourselves and as a collective, we just have that. Yeah. So obviously, like I said, there's, there's lots of different anecdotes, stories and kind of things that are, are retold in the book. And you must have read it a fair bit since yeah. you edited it and originally and are going back yeah. to it now. I think, yeah, I was thinking about the important stories. I mean, every story is important in its own right, but there are two I think are really interesting for me that I learned a lot from. Um, and the one one of them is, is uh, Mick O'Farrell talking about how... Uh, he, Mickey O'Farrell is, is who? Is Mickey O'Farrell is early in the book and it's an AFA activist. Um, and he talks about um, being kind of suspicious of, of organised left-wing stuff, but then seeing Grunwick. So the Grunwick dispute is an extraordinary dispute, which I've learned about since. And it was, I mean, absolutely amazing. 
And so that was one of the things I think is interesting about the book is that account of how uh, a, dispute, a dispute that was led by uh, Asian female workers was transformative for a white who became a white anti-fascist. So there's that which is really interesting. So those kind of connections across... Um, well, a, a, a London that's really different now, you know, in lots of ways. So there's that one story which I think is really interesting. And and also, uh, um, I know that Camden has always been a place where fascists have loved, and and he talks about going off to the markets to make you know to protect paper sellers and so on. So there's that sort of everyday landscape of London that was quite different, and trying to learn and think about that. So there's that one story, and then further back, it's actually uh, the connections between. Um, the anti-fascist movement and the movement for colonial freedom. Mm -hmm. So this would be in the 1950s and, and into the early 60s, again in London. And I think that some of those, if I was if I was going to do some research, it would actually be about those sorts of moments where there is a black self-organisation that has an effect on anti-racist and anti-fascist politics and how that happens. And I think that was really interesting. So they're kind of bits that of the book which... Dave wasn't looking for, but is pr uh, is present in the book, which I think is a kind of historical resource for other people if they wanted to go and rethink what's going on in the 20th century around that kind of spectrum of politics between uh, black liberation and anti-fascism of different kinds. Yeah, for me, I think I mean there's a there's a really nice one about the um, about the 43 group of of sending an Aryan looking. Larry looking Jewish <laughs> man into Mosley's uh, compound yeah. as a as a as a security guy and mm. smuggling out different various <laughs> measurements and stuff so they have yeah. a blueprint for when they yeah. when they break in and, and, and steal loads of papers. Mm. Um but yeah, there's another maybe not this this in the book, I just read it separately, of like a, an infiltrator selling fascist papers and getting yeah getting kicked kicked about on the street and then a few months later seeing the same fellas in the yeah. in the anti-fascist meeting and, yeah. and that when kind of I, I watched Ridley Road on TV and I wondered whether anybody had read sections of physical resistance or other books in their making of that because some of those stories are not very well known outside those books so that was kind of interesting so I guess moving on from like specific stories do you, what, what do you think are some of the wider lessons from the book for anti-fascists? There is, they're really interesting. I think about this quite a lot. I, in the chapter that I'm writing at the moment, that is kind of looking at um, the AFN, is I think we actually did learn a lot from some of the some of the kind of from the book or from discussions around anti-fascism. One of them is around kind of collective action and the compromises you might have to make in order to take collective action not being too pure really about it really so that's one of them is a really good lesson is that is if you're going to build a counter protest if you're going to build a counter demonstration you've got to you've got to work with your with the local people and the local people are there and like telling them they should think differently or be different or do it differently is not the point um it's to do with that sort of um, a compromise isn't really the right word, word, but acceptance of difference in a movement that you are building, you're, you know, that you are a building to counter a threat. If you're building like a kind of pure revolution, then maybe you should be really careful about who everybody you talk to. But if you're actually 
trying to do things which would be safeguard a community, ensure that fascists don't have inroads, make sure that they can't grow or build, then I do think that broad front is really important. And I remember being at a discussion about physical resistance when it was launched in Bristol and a discussion about the difference between a broad front and a united front, of which there is one, I know, but I, I think probably broad front would be the way that I would go. Not The united front would be a bit more of a Trotskyist thing, united around a single aim, we are all got this single... Pro but maybe, maybe it's not so different, but a broad front would be we're doing the same thing from our different perspectives, respecting each other, looking after each other. And I think that's not, it's not a bad place to be at the best of times in politics, so that would be yeah. one of them. And the other one, I think, would be the range of strategies that are can be used um, that count as kind of a physical resistance, you know, or a range of all those many things, because you kind of almost always have to break the law <laughs> if you're going to be effective. There's not really, <laughs> there's no, I don't know, if you obey the law, you really have disempowered yourself so completely at the outset. So I think to be a good anti-fascist, you have to go in knowing you're going to have to break the law at some point. It could be in a small way, stepping outside uh, Section 14, but basically that's what you've got to do. So don't worry too much about uh, about the exact politics of the person you're working with. Just, you know, trust them, respect them and break the law. <laughs> <laughs> trust, respect and law-breaking is the, is the key takeaways from this book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess for me, and I guess moving on a little bit, like the the good thing about having obviously that you obviously if you're writing history, and I'm a, I'm a historian too, but if you're writing long histories, you obviously miss out on a lot of a lot of different stuff because because you can't get that granular detail within a, a you just can't fit it in in a book. But the benefit of having such a long historical scope is you get a, a feeling for the you know peaks and troughs of the movement. Like yeah. there, there are there are periods of of there are no other reasons why there are periods of lulls is because if fascists aren't organising that much, then you don't have much right. to oppose, and yeah. therefore it, all the kind of structures you build kind of lose their sense of purpose and the, all the air comes out of it. Mm. So I, I think for me the interesting part was thinking about how people rebuild when there's a new threat, whether th there is things we can do in the meantime, but also mm. like how we can like have generational knowledge passed on from yeah. from cycle to cycle i guess like not yeah. it's not necessarily an age thing either like you know it's just like I, f I feel like sometimes we we're in danger of losing our histories and then losing the lessons that we yeah. can draw from them as well which yeah. obviously this book is a part of it and part of what we've been doing in the podcast is trying to restitch some of that together as well um but also yeah um it's really important for us to know what the 62 group was, for example, and, and what they did and what where their successes and where their fail, failures were as well. Yeah. It is. It's a, I mean, I think about all those questions and, in fact, you know, I don't know that I've got any more answers than the ones you've indicated already. I think it is really hard because anti-fascism is a responsive and reactive to a threat. And a really serious threat, a threat that is like, if, the, if those, when those people get a platform, they use it to deny the rights of others to, to exist that's what that is their sole purpose really and that's that's quite you know it has to be that has to be taken very seriously they're not just uh extremists on the right that somehow they should be protected by freedom of speech is that they are there to deny rights for you know for most people other than themselves to be fair actually really pretty much any other of any kind um 
so it's like how do you can you be ready and in a way it's really difficult to be ready because when they're gone you just think phew like oh we can move on and we can take our politics forward like we don't have to be we don't have to be dragged back to fighting on the basics so but in fact we're always dragged back because we do know and physical resistance shows us that is that they come and they go but they definitely always come back they just they just never they at least in the politics of this country which we have a bunch of racist crowd pleasers in government and more or less I'd say that for, you know whatever whatever the hue is of the particular color that's that's their you know that's what they do so they're always there so it's a, so it's a, it's really tricky um, to think how do we prepare well, and the trickiness is it's, it's always a bit different every time like yeah. the BNP oh, yeah. is different to the EDL which oh, no. was different to National Action yeah. and, you know. yeah, yeah. no different they do they have different formations but they're almost always there yeah. popping up um, on you know yeah definitely so one of the things I think is it's important I suppose to keep some of the things in mind around uh, that they <laughs> so fascists will uh, consistently pro-borders they are consistently nationalists then they are always nationalists always and it just depends what kind of how hard how hardline nationalists they happen to be how much they want to close the border so one thing i think is it's really important to keep our no borders anti-nationalist policy going on always because that's that's in a way often the ground that we're fighting i think about this more and more the ground we fight on is around the very narrow concept of a nation that they want in a way so we have to that that politics of against the border and at one time that politics was secured through communism because it was an international movement and when that's gone it's a different it's actually quite a different thing that we're doing because the people used to just go oh, work in solidarity across the world versus the nationalists and the fascists but that doesn't exist in that way so i think one of the things is to is i think we need to develop is more on freedom of movement across the you know as opposed because i don't think we can draw on international solidarity in the old left ways so freedom of movement and against the border because then we've got a kind of thinking that is anti-fascist it's mm -hmm. anti-fascist around those core core issues i suppose really that's one way of preparing that would be my reflection on the book at the moment really i suppose yeah yeah i i i, I do agree about that and um yeah, I guess nationalist is like the kind of go-to generic term that even fascists yeah. use about themselves. Yeah. Definitely, they would think it's a good thing. And um, and I think the other thing, word they've been using increasingly is patriotism. Is that we're, we're just patriots and being a patriot is just fine. Well, it, you know, it really is not. But especially if you if you know if you if you live in England, the UK, or Britain, or whatever particular region, and we have such an imperial past. That, you know whatever your version of nation is going to be is going to be uh celebrating an imperial history in some form if you're a fascist in the uk and of course like throughout the throughout much of the later 20th century and into the 21st century like the kind of i guess mainstream politics that was overarching governmental parliamentary politics does give a lot of cover for fascists as well you just look at kind of recent United's latest kind of speeches about brexit and about you les and about 15 minute cities all these kind of conspiracy theories that are obviously touchstones for the far right today and, and you just go through back and you look at new labor's kind yeah. of hyping up of the immigration and go back to thatcher and yeah. see and see that and it we are operating in 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 a in a kind of framing that is always we're always at a disadvantage and it's about Definitely. breaking that as yeah. well really i mean important. the phrase the fuck off back, back to france phrase used by i can't even remember his name 
Lee, Lee Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I have, heard, I have I heard that first. I heard that first from Flashes on a street. Do you know what I mean? Or just think, like, <laughs> whoa, who were you listening to? Were you learning the lessons? You know, so yeah. Yeah, so I think that is one of the ways of keeping keeping the politics of anti-fascism uh, to the forefront, even when there is no fascist threat, is around an anti-nation, I would say. Anti-border, anti-nation. To wrap up this conversation, like I said before, you're writing a additional chapter, yes. The Physical Resistance, yeah. for a new edition, which is going to be published by Freedom Press, and it's coming out a couple of weeks out of sometime after this yeah. episode airs um and i just wondered what your experience how did you feel about we've talked a little bit about this off air but like how did you feel about adding to the book because it's it's a kind of tricky yeah. thing to come back to you know someone else's work and obviously someone else who's no longer with us and to then to then try and complete finish the story that that he was telling as yeah. well. No, it was really interesting because first of all, I thought, oh, this is a really easy job. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to use uh, Dave Han's method and I'm going to roll it out. And then I thought, actually... The Dave Han method TM. Yeah, I'm actually, that is that is a really not a clever thing to do because I don't think I could do it, actually, because I don't think I've got the, I've got a different set of relationships with people in the anti-fascist movement. I, you know, And so I think I couldn't have done that. But also ethically... I couldn't say to Dave, "Is that okay? Do, do, do you mind if I if I kind of take what I know from you and then add new material?" So, you know, I'm a writer myself, and so I felt like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to do it the way I do it. So it's my voice. But the other thing that was really important is I talked to his kids and I said, "This is what's going on," because actually they are they are Dave's next of kin. And also they respect him. They uh, they have memories that I don't want to kind of um, dis- not destroy, but I want I need to respect, you know. So I talked to my kids really and uh, um, about the project, and then so that all of that process took quite a long time thinking through ethically what's the correct thing to do, regardless of fact whether or not whatever relationship I have with Dave, who his who. He, the, his, like his loved ones, which would include me, but his children, what they would want. And then thinking as well, really seriously, because I was a member of AFN, about how that movement should be represented and the impossibility. So it's quite a diverse movement, quite a lot of different kinds of voices, how you could tell that story, because everyone's still around. Yeah. You know, fingers crossed. Well, not, not everybody, I know, not, not quite everybody, but most people are still around. And so you've got to respect the differences between that movement. So I think what I've tried to do is tell the story from my perspective, because that's all I can do in all honesty, but also learn from Dave around inclusivity and letting people speak, like letting people speak. Um, and I think there's something that I think Dave really believed in is everybody has got ideas of their own. And that might even be verbatim, something I've heard him said, and it's stuck with me. And they do everybody has got ideas of their own you know and so they have to be told and respected and that's part i think of an anti-fascist politics is that level of respect for people's ideas on your side and it's, it's really interesting as well just to kind of wrap this up about there's a remark you i think you have in the introduction about how different activists from different time periods of activity would cross each other's paths without even knowing it and and I ended up kind of going away thinking like, who have I kind of crossed paths <laughs> with in a crowd in, yeah, in London no, somewhere no. or Reading or wherever, you know, like 
it's super interesting because even if people aren't no longer an active organizer oftentimes people will just go to demonstrations because yeah. they're anti-fascist and that's what they do and they're yeah. no longer organizing but they're they're there and they're they're following things as well and i think if anything it's a good way of these kind of projects and i hopefully we can do more of these, these kind of bringing together will bring together these different perspectives as well because i think everyone has a has a has a place and a voice to contribute yeah. even if you're like on your very first action yeah, yeah. you're bringing your own experiences yeah. and your own views and your own yeah. i do believe in learning from the past definitely and i think that's what this book is about and i think for dave it's what it was about actually trying to think broadly about the movement to which he had made a contribution but then i do think sometimes people come up and they 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 teach you something you know they really do just by the way they act and by the way they come in and i think there's been quite a lot of unlearning of um hierarchies in politics recently you know and i think that's really important and that needs to go on really but yeah that's the end of the interview um me and louise forgot to record a proper ending so i guess i'm doing that now if you want to support the show you can do so on our patreon patreon.com slash 12 rules for what um, you'll get early access to the interviews and um, for this week I've done some readings from Physical Resistance of stories that I mentioned in the interview um, so if you want to listen to some more stuff of me reading then go check it out there uh, also to say this podcast is part of Channel Zero Network um, of Anarchist Podcasts so if you want to go check that out um, there's many great shows on there as well um, for now that's it for me bye <laughs>